you. I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter number 10. The book of Luke, chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 25 through 29 at this moment, and then we'll look at some more a little bit later. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 in the NLT says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus And who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? There's a lot in that particular passage of scripture that we could really review or go over. I know that this is a very familiar passage of scripture. And I know that you know that this question and this answer leads Jesus into the story of the Good Samaritan. And we'll look at some of that in a little bit. But today... I want to take a different angle in asking and answering and applying this question of who is our neighbor. And I want to do it with this topic, a mind set to love. A mind set to love. Most times when people begin to talk about love, Anytime love is preached on or taught on, most times people will give you an explanation or a definition of that word love. And we'll quickly go to Webster's Dictionary to try to define the word love. And I'm sure he has something in there about feelings and emotions. But to be quite honest with you, I didn't look at Webster's definition of it. And I don't want you to look at it either. But then you say, well, if you're not going to look at Webster's definition of love, then certainly you're going to go and look at it in the Greek because the Greek has several connotations of the word love. And I know that's probably where you're going with right now, preacher. I'm sure that's where you're going. You're going to talk about storge, and you're going to talk about phileo or philia. You're going to talk about eros, and, and, and then you're going to lead us to agape. That's probably what you're going to do. Well, you'd be wrong because Honestly, I'm tired of us trying to define a word that we really don't understand. There is no one in this place who truly can understand what the word love means. Love encompasses a lot of different things and love has a range as far as the east is from the West. And the reason why we cannot understand and interpret what love is and give it a definition is because the Bible says that God is love. And there's not a living soul in this place who can put boundaries and limitations and a definition on God. What I have come to understand about this word love is, 
is that this word love is defined best when it's expressed. Love is defined best when it's expressed. Say that with me. Love is defined best when it's expressed. By all accounts, my brothers and sisters, none of us can really make sense of love. I believe it was that great preacher and theologian Al Green who told us that love will make you do wrong, will make you do right. It's the only explanation that I have that could take a young lady on the campus of Jackson State University. I won't mention any names. But she'll come and look a brother dead in his eyes and say, brother, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. No one can really make sense of the word love. No one can explain how in the aftermath of a hurricane, in the total destruction of all of your property, how a man or a woman could climb into a boat looking at all of his or her possessions being left behind and destroyed, everything material destroyed, gone, home gone, cars gone, clothes gone, and they yet they still climb into a boat and they go from house to house, neighbor to neighbor to make sure that others in that community are at least safe. No one can understand that. No one can understand how a man or a woman could open up the hearts and their homes to adopt or foster a child with whom they did not birth apart from love. No one understands that kind of love. No one understands how a person could give an internal organ to somebody who is in need. And no one can understand how a holy God could step from eternity into time and put on the skin of man, die on a tree that he planted and die for people that killed him. No one can understand this word love. Today, I'd like to look at it, a mindset to love in three phases. No particular order, but in three phases, I want to look at this, this word love and a mindset to love in this way. I want to look at it nationally. I want to look at it personally, and I want to look at it biblically. I want to look at it nationally, a mindset to love. Love nationally, biblically, and personally, not in any certain order. Just catch it as it comes. There's been a lot of news in America lately. We just saw and witnessed Hurricane come in and ravish the states of the Carolinas and, and, and Florida. A lot of news. Before that, you had the Judge Kavanaugh debacle, where we've seated a judge for a lifetime, and people are not really not sure of where he stands. Before the Judge Kavanaugh situation, uh, there was a meeting with a lot of the African-American leaders and pastors with President Trump. And the meeting was supposed to be about the incarceration rates of our African-Americans brothers and sisters because it's way too high. But at best, it seems as though that was nothing more than a photo op. But at all of those things, the most heinous of them all 
had to be in the time between April 19 and June 20th when the current administration removed over 2,600 children from their parents. Can you imagine the psychological effect of a three-year-old, of a four-year-old being ripped away from the only people that they know? Could you imagine the psychological, the mental, the emotional distress that a mother and a father had to endure for months on end before they were reunited with their own child or children? And the news just showed us just the other day that out of that 2,600 that are in that, that, that were uh, detained and separated from their children. Most of them have been reunited, but yet there are still 136 children who are still looking and without their parents. Where are we? To make matters worse, the U.S., the sitting U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, speaking to an Orthodox Union Advocacy Center, on the subject of immigration, said this, and I quote, I would cite you, the Apostle Paul, and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order, end quote. Out of all the things that you could quote, out of all the things that you could cite, out of all the things that you could lay blame to, you're going to put this on the hands and on the back of the word of God. And therein, my brothers and sisters, lies the problem of cherry-picking scriptures for political expediency. I understand obey the laws of the land. I concur with that. I believe in obeying the laws of the land, but I still understand how these laws can be misapplied, misinterpreted, and misconstrued because it was these same laws that, that denied many of our parents and our grandparents the right to vote. Under these same laws, we could not bring our white brothers and sisters to court if they did anything to us or against us. Under these same laws, we as a people were murdered, battered, abused, mistreated, and the court sided with the oppressors. So please, sir, don't use God's word to justify your bad actions. My position is this. I believe that people should definitely be given an opportunity to enter into this country legally. I believe that. Because this is still America. This is still the land of the free and home of the brave. This is still the land on which the, the, the Statue of Liberty rests and sits and stands. And at the base of that Statue of Liberty, the words you'll find are, give me your tired your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That still rests on the Statue of Liberty, but the question is, is it valid? Is it true now? There are laws that definitely should be enforced. However, when it comes to foreigners, I'm not for them being treated like animals. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19. We're going to look at this biblically. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 through 34. Leviticus chapter 19, 33 through 34. NLT reads this way. 
Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do you see what the scripture says? There are three fundamental things that he brings out of that. Number one, he says, God says, do not take advantage of the foreigners. We, you know, a lot of times we see foreigners, we see Hispanics, we see Mexicans, and, and the first thing that comes to our mind is that I can use them to do my work for a little or nothing. I don't have to pay them much. I can give them a can of beer. I can give them a few sandwiches. You know, I can, I can do these things. I can pay them, you know, just, just bare, bare minimum, and they'll do whatever it is that I want them to do. And God says that you must not take advantage of the foreigners. Secondly, God says that we've got to treat them as native-born. You have to treat our foreigners, our brothers and sisters who come from Mexico and those who are coming from Asia and those who are coming from Africa, you've got to treat them as if they were born right here on this soil. That's a heart thing. That takes a heart to do that. And then lastly, God says that we've got to love them. We've got to show affection towards them. He says, don't take advantage of them. Treat them as native-born and love them. Give them a part of your heart. And I'll tell you why a little bit later. When I think about this passage of Scripture, he says, treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. And then he hits them with something heavy. God says, remember that you, too, were foreigners living in the land of Egypt. Now, now don't, don't let that skip over you. Because God is telling us, he, he's saying, I need for you to reminisce. I need for you to think back. I need for you to go back in time and remember that you too were once foreigners in this land. That this land did not belong to you. That you were brought over to this land and you were given certain freedoms and you were given things by me. And God says, when it comes to the foreigners, when it comes to those who are coming over into our borders, God says that it's a level of empathy that you must have. There is a level of empathy and concern that God is calling for both you and me to have when we see people who we don't normally see. I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to back all this up with scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 10, I'm not even sure why the Lord wanted me to, to, to bring this message, but I know that this is what it wanted me to talk about. I'm not sure who this is for. I know it's for all of us, but it may be for somebody in particular. But God wants us to look at this subject of a mindset to love. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And we're going to look at verse 17 through 19. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. And here's how it reads. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. Listen to what he does. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. 
He shows love to the foreigners among you and gives them food and clothing. Watch this. So you, too, must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. The scripture, we can go scripture after scripture, and we will find where God tells us that we are to love others just as we love ourselves, and it doesn't matter if they look like us. God tells us emphatically that just as I will give them food and clothing, and just as I gave you food and clothing, you too must show, you must display, you must, here's that word again, express love to foreigners. Because again, we said that the word love is defined best when it's expressed. So how am I supposed to, to show this love? What, is this kind of, what does this look like? James chapter 2 tells us. James chapter 2. Verse 15 and 17. Turn to that real quickly. James 2, 15 and 17 through 17. The Bible reads as this. It says, suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So, see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless your faith produces good seeds, your faith is dead and useless. Say this with me. Love is not lip service. Love, my brothers and sisters, compels us to act on the basis of a need. Love makes us look at people around us And look at their situations and empathize for them long enough to say, I'm going to do something about this person's need. Stop skipping over our brothers and sisters who don't look like us. Stop avoiding them at all costs. Reach out and touch that person's needs. Let me get to the heart of the matter. This is why I really wanted to talk about this. I'm going to say something, give you a statement. I want you to think about this statement. Perception is everything. Perception is everything. Say that with me. Perception is everything. Perception, my brothers, is everything. Why? Because there is a direct link between our perceptions and our interactions. There is a direct link between our perceptions and our interactions. Do you not know that it was perceived by many that our African ancestors had no souls? And that was the basis why it gave the slave masters the green light to treat our people as animals without a conscience or consideration. Because they said they are nothing but filthy dogs. They have no souls, so you can treat them just like you can treat an animal. And if you fast forward 150 years to 2018... And listen to the rhetoric and the language that is used against our Mexican brothers and sisters. You'll see it. Our own president calls them rapists, drug dealers, murderers, and he, along with others, refer to them as illegal aliens. Think about that word. Illegal alien. Do you know what that implies? The word illegal says that you don't belong here. 
You shouldn't be here. If, if, if I am illegally here, then I, 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 should, I, I should not be here. But not only am I illegal, but I'm also an alien. I don't belong here. I'm from another place and planet in time. And think about the perception that has on your mind psychologically when you look at a person who does not look like you and you determine that that person is an illegal, you don't, are not supposed to be here, and you are an alien, you don't even belong here. I'm going to say it again. Perceptions give us a direct link to how we interact with other people. Perception is everything. We have separated children from their parents and we treat them like illegal aliens. And if I don't care much for your presence, then I will never take responsibility for your soul. Do you see where I'm going with this? If I don't care much about you, if I have no care, no concern about you, then I will never carry out the great commission for you. God told us to go and make disciples, not of Israel, not of America, not of just Japan, not of, out of all nations. That means everybody with whom we have an encounter, God has love for that person, and he sent you and me to disciple those people so that they will become and converted Christians like we are. But if I don't care about you, if I think of you as an illegal alien, then I will never take responsibility for your soul. Satan's plot, brothers and sisters, is extremely subtle and sinister. Satan's goal, you might want to write this down, Satan's goal is desensitization. Satan's goal for the Christian believer is desensitization. He is teaching us little by little not to care. Little by little. Think about it now. Most of us have children. And most of us allow our children to, at a young age, play with video games that teach and cause destructive nature. We, we allow children to, to have those video games, and, and now, you know, it's a lot of gory blood that comes from somebody when you shoot and kill them. You know, these video games allow you to decapitate a person, hold their head up in the middle of the air with the blood flowing down, it is causing the minds of our children to become desensitized at an early age so that when they become older, they could care less about the human life. <laughs> Satan's subtle goal, it's just a video game. It's not reality. It's okay. It's just music. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. It's just, you know, yeah, it has a little curse word in it, but we, we've all said curse words before. It's, it's just a little music. But when that music coerces that young man and, and teaches that young man to look at your daughter a certain way, then it ain't just music no more then, is it? We've got to be very careful what we allow in our homes. I can only shepherd my own house, and I'm not saying that my wife and I have, have no what all to do because we are, we are fumbling through this thing as well. But I'm going to tell you one thing that we have done purposely. 
We have one television in our whole house. One. I'm not telling you that's what you have to do. Kids, don't kill me after the message. But we have one television in our whole household, and we all have to share that when, when we want to watch TV because my wife and I want to be extremely purposeful of knowing what our children are looking and listening to. Because I realize that Satan's goal is desensitization. How much time do you spend with your neighbors? I'm talking about next door neighbors. How, how, much, how much time do you actually spend with your next door neighbors? Do you even talk to them? Do, do they talk to you? Can, I remember when, when, when growing up, you know, my, my mom could, if we needed something, some sugar or some eggs or something, I could go right down the street. Well, no problem to go see our, my friend Rodney and Miss Mitchell and uh, Dee Dee and, and, and see Miss Hill and see anybody who we need to in our area and borrow anything from them. And they knew that they could borrow anything from us because we had purposeful relationships with the people who were in our community. But now you think about it. We don't interact with our, with our neighbors. By and large, we may. Hey, hey. We may do that. But we don't, we don't say, hey, listen, come on, come on over to, to my house and enjoy a meal with me. Or they don't invite you to, to their homes. And, and so we're losing the whole concept of the village. The, the village is being deconstructed one brick at a time. And we used to be our brother's keeper, but now we're just trying to keep it for ourselves. If I don't care about my next door neighbor, if I don't want to be bothered with the neighbors who are in my community, then I certainly won't have a heart for foreigners when I see them. And I could care less about witnessing Jesus to them. I'm talking about a mind that's purposely set, intentional love, intentional love. We are, my brothers and sisters, becoming apathetic. That means that we are having a lack of concern or feeling or emotion. We're becoming apathetic. Write this down. We're, and the reason why we're becoming apathetic is because we, we, we've been blessed by God. Okay? We, we've been blessed, and some of us may have been too blessed. And, and I want you to write this down. Prosperity often leads to pride. Pride leads to apathy. And apathy leads to complete desensitization. When you are too blessed, you take on the position that I don't need my neighbors. I don't need anybody because I'm self-sufficient. I have everything I need myself. And that prosperity often, not all the time, not 100%, some people can handle money, but a lot of us can't. And God knows that if he makes you a rich guy, you'll be a rich fool. Because prosperity often leads to pride. Pride will lead to apathy, and apathy will lead to complete desensitization. In our text today, my brothers and sisters, we find Jesus being confronted by the expert of the law. And this expert in, in Jewish law asked Jesus a legitimate question illegitimately. 
He has a legitimate question. The question is, how, how, master, must I inherit the kingdom of God? But he asks it illegitimately because he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to tempt Jesus. He's trying to force Jesus to say something that would be against the law and against their teaching. But here's how Jesus replies. Look at it, Luke 10, chapter, uh, Luke 10 verse 30 through 35. Jesus replied, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead by the road. And by chance, a priest came along, and, but when, the, when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a Samaritan, does it say that? Then a low down, good for nothing, dirty, despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. And then he put the man on a donkey and he took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. This Samaritan, this good-for-nothing Samaritan, this low-down Samaritan, this dirty Samaritan, this despised Samaritan knew about a mindset to love. He showed us who our neighbor is. Our neighbors, brothers and sisters, is anyone with whom we can have impact. Your neighbor is anyone with whom you can have impact. Now, according to this text, there are a few things that we could surmise, and I want you to write these down. I'll put them on the screen for us. Having a mindset to love means that you look beyond familiar faces for opportunities to display Christ-likeness. Having a mindset to love means that you take on the opportunity to display Christ-likeness. In other words, when you look at a foreigner, when you look at someone who may not belong here, don't look at foreigners as oppositions. Look at them as opportunities to display Christ-likeness in that man, in that woman, in that child or girl, boy or girl. But then secondly, having a mindset to love means that you have compassion for people. You look beyond the familiar faces for opportunities to display Christ-likeness, but then also you have a compassion for people. In other words, you empathize with people. You put yourself in that person's shoes. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but I, I'm only playing with, with, with this in, in my imagination. But I, I only imagine, I surmise, that when, when, when that Samaritan man walked by and he saw the man lying down on, on, on the ground, I can only imagine what was flowing through that Samaritan's mind. I bet one of the things that would have flown through his mind was, if that was me lying there, I bet he wouldn't do anything. If the, if the shoe was on the other foot, 
He probably wondered in his mind because that was a Jewish man. And the Jews absolutely abhorred the, the, the Samaritans. And so this man looks at this man lying on the ground, and he too, just like the temple assistant and like the priest, could have kept on walking. But I believe that this man had a change of heart when he looked at him down there. Because possibly this man, this Samaritan, this low-down, dirty Samaritan, looked down at this man and said, I too was in his place. I remember what it meant to be down and out on my luck. I remember what it meant to be beat down and beat up and left half for dead. I remember the feelings that this man is currently going to, and I've got to do something about it. And brothers and sisters, you, many of you in this, in this room, know exactly what it means to be beat up, to be left for dead, to be left out, to be despised, to be hated, to be abused. You know what that means. And so when you see an opportunity to show some love to someone, put yourself in that person's shoes and give them a helping hand. God is requiring this of you. We are to have compassion for people. Thirdly, perceive the need and assess the situation. Don't get somebody something that they don't need. What, what, what the man needed down there on the ground was for somebody to pour some oil on him and to soothe him. He didn't need somebody to walk by and say, God bless you. I, I hope everything's going to be all right. It's, it's going to get better by and by. Trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, man, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. That's not what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to perceive the need and to assess the situation. In other words, put yourself in that person's shoes and be willing to do something about it. And then lastly, take the initiative and address the need. Do it. Nike's slogan is just what? Do it. Stop worrying about how this may impact your pockets. Guys, I kid you not, this, this, this very message was put to test on me just this past week. I, I, was, I, was, I was in Walmart, and I, can't, I won't give you all the details, but I was in Walmart and, and, and a foreigner. Out of all the people that, that, that she saw, she picked me out, couldn't speak much, much English at all, had a little note, and on that note it had the items that, that, that she needed for her baby. And I reached in my pocket. I had about five or six dollars, you know, loose change in my pocket. And I reached out to, to give her. And she said, no, 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 no. This, this is my need. Five or six dollars ain't going to cut it. <laughs> and so I, I had the opportunity to either walk away, like many times I have done, you know, and you see somebody come, you just kind of go the other way, you, you, know, you know what they want. And I'm not saying that you can help everybody either. Don't, don't, don't misinterpret that. Don't, you know, when, when people are holding up signs, we'll work for food and, and that sort of things, you know, some, sometimes that is a, a sham. And oftentimes they'll take that money and go buy drugs or go buy alcohol, whatever, but then maybe the Holy Spirit will convict your heart and say, but I need you to do something about this situation right here. 
And when she came up, I had either the opportunity to, to meet that need or to look at her as an opposition. And guys, it, it, it took me more money than I thought I was going to be spending. But I knew that that was a test for me because I can't preach this message if I'm not willing to do it. We've got to become doers of the word of God. Take the initiative to address the need. But then lastly, and this is something that I thought about last night, so it's not going to be on the screen, but I do want you to, to, to just think about this. thought about this last night. You, you know, there's a portion of this particular message uh, or, or, or scripture that is oftentimes left out. We, we, we'll talk about the man soothing his wounds. Uh, we'll talk about him feeling compassion for him. We'll talk about him uh, putting him on, on the, the donkey and taking him to an inn. And we, we'll talk about him taking care of him. But we leave out one very vital, important part, and it comes from, 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 from verse 35. Okay? He, he, okay, so he, the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling the innkeeper, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Most times that portion of the scripture is just kind of read and looked over. But that piece is extremely important. Because what this man does, and I want you to write this down lastly, we are to leave the person in trustworthy hands. Leave the person in trustworthy hands. So you, you, you look beyond the familiar face to, to, to meet an opportunity. You've had compassion on the person. You've had a heart change or, or you've had a heart connection with that person. You, you have perceived that person's needs. You have assessed the situation. You have now taken the initiative to meet the need. Now, there's only one last thing for you to do, and that is to put that person or persons in the hands of someone who is trustworthy. And there's only one trustworthy name I can think of, and his name is Jesus. God gives us opportunities to meet the needs of those who are around us so that we can meet also a spiritual need. Jesus Christ, while he was on this earth, gave us the model for reaching people. Jesus would feed them physically and load them up spiritually. He would often meet a physical need, a tangible need, because I can't listen to you if I'm hungry. I can't hear you if I'm, if I'm starving. I can't hear you if I'm not well-dressed, if, if, if I'm cold. I don't want to hear what you have to say. So if you feed me, if you will clothe me, if you will do something about my need, then I can listen and tolerate what you have to say, and I'll be receptive to what you're giving me. We have to take the final step in leading people to Jesus Christ. Now, the situation, the opportunity that I had the other day, it wasn't one where it could manifest into me doing so. I had to show this lady the love of Christ without verbalizing it, and sometimes that is the case. But I don't want us to get comfortable doing things for people but skipping over the most important thing because that person still at one point or another has to die. And they still have to go and meet their maker. And if God has given you an opportunity to meet a very spiritual need, what are you doing not obeying the word of God? I'm not saying all of us are equipped evangelists. 
But everybody can tell somebody about the man who died on the cross for you. A man who stayed in the grave three days and three nights and early on the third day morning rose with all power and authority in his hands. Somebody needs to hear that Jesus saves. So I leave you with that. Having a mindset to love means that you are looking beyond familiar faces for opportunities to display Christ's likeness. Having a mindset to love means that you are having compassion for people. Having a mindset to love means that you are assessing the situation and perceiving the need. Having a mindset to love means that you leave the person in trustworthy hands, Jesus Christ. If you become an agent for love, then you will also become a recipient of love. There are a lot of you in here say, well, I'm unloved. It's hard for me to meet the needs of somebody else because I have needs myself. But I want to encourage you with the scripture. The Bible tells us to give and it shall be given unto you. So what, what, what is it that you, what, what is it? What do I give? Whatever it is that you need. If, if you are in a financial dire strait and you need money, give money. If you need healing, give it. Pray over people. If you need love, give love. And the Bible declares that he'll give it over to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over with men pouring into your bosom. Every head bowed, every eye closed.